Sometimes the most interesting news doesn't make it to the headlines. Now, there was one time that I saw this happen in a big way, and this was back around 10 years ago, back when the global financial crisis first hit. So some of you might remember, thinking back in that time, it was a time of big financial news. Uh, everyone seemed to be very worried about money. Uh, people worried if their business would survive. You know, exchange rates went a little bit crazy for a while. And uh, during the time, we heard about CEOs of major organizations uh, getting these multi-million dollar payouts, while at the same time, people in the same organizations were losing their jobs. It was seemed like those with the most money were doing anything they could in this time of insecurity to make themselves secure. That was sort of the kind of flavor of the news for a while back at that time. Uh, but during the thick of all of that, I also came across a, a tiny article in a news magazine. Uh, it was literally, it was a small paragraph like this, and it was buried way past page one. Uh, this never made the evening news. In fact, this story came out a little later after it happened. Uh, let me read it for you. After selling his majority stake in City National Bank shares, Leonard Abess Jr. decided to take the $60 million in proceeds and hand it to his tellers, clerks, bookkeepers, everyone on the payroll. All 399 received bonuses, and he even tracked down 72 former employees so they could share in the windfall. Abess didn't tell anyone about his generosity. But when the local newspaper found out, he said, I knew some of these people since I was seven years old. I didn't feel right getting the money myself. Talk about a different mindset. You know, someone doing it very differently. Uh, the news headlines uh, were about these bigwigs running scared with as much money as they could stuff in their pockets. Uh, but this man, he wasn't living like that. He was giving money away. Literally $60 million he gave away to 400 people. The story just screams counterculture, doesn't it? You know, he had the heart and passion to live very uh, differently from those around him. You know, excuse me, you know, this is the sort of thing that we are going to see as we open our new series now and explore the Sermon on the Mount. Because these teachings of Jesus that we see in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, they're all about living a radically different life. In fact, some of what he says as we listen over these next few months is going to be very, very surprising, very, very challenging. Uh, he calls for us to stand out from the crowd. And he starts with a passage that's very well known called the Beatitudes, what we're going to look at today. It's a picture, really, of how we should live as people of the kingdom. So here's how we're going to break this down. The Beatitudes could be a whole sermon series alone. Okay, and we just don't have time right now to break each one down in detail, unless you do want to stay for two or three hours, in which case, you know, let's get some more afternoon tea going and we'll all settle in. Um, now, what we're going to actually do is we're going to uh, move through the Beatitudes, you know, just enough so that we can put together the big picture and also so it can be a good introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but we're going to linger in a few little areas as well along the way. And to help us get our heads around these words from Jesus, we're going to break it down into two parts. The first is who we are before God, and then the second half of the Beatitudes is who we are before other people. Okay, So let's start with who we are before God, the first four of the Beatitudes. 
And we see in the first verses that disciples from this great crowd that's been following Jesus, they gather around him, and he begins like this in verse 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we need to get this one right if we want to properly understand the Sermon on the Mount. This does not mean poor-spirited or downcast, things like that. It means to be spiritually poor, to have nothing of our own that can make us right with God. It's about being spiritually bankrupt. Jesus is talking about those who come before God knowing that they cannot save themselves because of their sinful condition, and so they cling to his grace to make them new. In Luke's gospel, Jesus tells a parable, a parable about being right before God. And he starts off with a Pharisee, a religious leader who thinks he's in God's good books because of all his religious efforts, his works. And then Jesus describes a tax collector. It's a great parable. Uh, let me read a couple of verses. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The first beatitude says, blessed is the one who's like that tax collector. You know, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I need the grace and the gospel of Jesus. That's the starting point of all of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, we've just got to get that right if we're going to understand it. The Beatitudes, they're not about just doing good works. Okay? They're about living out the good work that Jesus has done and is doing in us. And then in verse 4, we see that the next blessed group are the mourners who will be comforted. Now, if we took that verse just by itself, we lifted it off the pages and looked at it alone, we might think that it's about mourning in general, you know, especially the sadness of losing a loved one. And yes, of course, God does comfort us at those times. But I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. This is a flow on from the first beatitude. We recognize our sin, and then sin grieves us. Blessed is the one who's real about sin. His own sin and the sin of the world. Blessed is the one who can see the depth of this and is driven, who's driven to repentance. You know, a good prayer for any of us is, God, show me my real spiritual condition and let my sin drive me to Jesus so that I can live your way. Why not make that one of your prayers this week? It's right to have a spiritual mourning over sin. It's right to take it seriously. But again, we're, we're just moving through the Beatitudes and painting a big picture, so we'll keep moving on. Verse 5, if you want to look there with me, please. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meekness is one of those words where, when it comes to Christianity, it can be misunderstood. Uh, meekness does not mean being a doormat, okay? Uh, the word isn't weakness, uh, the Bible says that both Moses and Jesus were, were meek. You know, they were both powerful people. They, they were humble, they were gentle, they knew who they were before God and men. 
meekness then, it, it also connects again with that knowing that we are sinners in need of grace. And that leads us to not have a lofty view of ourselves. Because we know that God has been good to us, even though we don't deserve it. You know, meekness means not boasting about our own efforts. It means not just being out for our own gain. So blessed is the person who can put others first. Because he knows that it's not all about him. He knows that he has been given so much. That's meekness. Then in verse 6, we see that those hungry and thirsty for righteousness will be blessed. These are people who crave God's righteousness. Or we could describe this as wanting more of Christ. Uh, John, sorry, Jesus tells us in John chapter 4 that whoever drinks the water that he gives will never thirst. It'll become in him a spring welling up to eternal life. Blessed are those who keep drinking from that fountain, from Jesus. Blessed are those who have a hunger and thirst for his righteousness, who run to him, who will sit at his feet and, and hear him in his teachings, who will have a heart and a desire to live out that righteousness. But as we break it down like this, do you see the flow in these first four Beatitudes? Kingdom living is recognizing our sin and being convicted of it. It's knowing who we truly are before God, and so that we don't have this lofty view of ourselves, but then knowing God's goodness and his grace towards us, we crave Jesus more and more. You know, we know we need Christ, we're thankful for him, and we want him. You know, that's who we are spiritually before God. You see, that's the flavor of, this, of this, the Beatitudes here. But then, this realistic view of ourselves spills over into our relationship with others. So that's the second half of the Beatitudes. And verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. One of the best descriptions of mercy that I've ever read says that it is grace in action. It's to reach out and help someone in need. Okay, It's not just feeling sympathy. It's not just seeing that there's a problem. It means doing something. Okay? And isn't that what God has done for us? It's because of God's mercy, in his mercy, that he sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. God saw our need, he saw our helplessness, and he acted. The cross is God's mercy in action. We are called to be merciful too. But I want to spend another minute on this because this is something that Christians get a little bit confused about sometimes. I've had people tell me, this is more so in past church experiences, definitely less so here at Epping, but I've had people tell me that they won't give to charities, for example, because the gospel isn't directly available through that certain group. I personally think we need to be a little bit careful about that kind of thinking. Remember, God pours out his common grace, okay? Uh, His blessings affect the whole world. Uh, Scripture tells us that God makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. He feeds the believer and the unbeliever. In fact, the whole world, God restrains the amount of evil and the effect it could have on us day by day, moment by moment. God is always pouring out his common grace on every single human being. So we should not ignore needs around us. So I think it works like this. Yes, we take gospel opportunities where we can. And when we have that option, we run with it. You know, we we do that. You know, we even try to create gospel opportunities. You know, we try to make sure that our resources, they do benefit Christian organizations and missions work and that sort of thing. Those kind of mercy ministries. 
I mean, if we as believers don't support gospel ministry, who will? You know, we, we have to do that. And yes, we do know that in the end, the deepest need of every single human being is spiritual. It's salvation in Jesus. But at the same time, if we are faced with a real practical need that we have the means to meet, and we turn our back on it just because, oh, the gospel's not in that strongly enough for me, I think we're missing something. Okay? I think we're missing something there. We're simply told to be merciful, not to put a whole other bunch of categories on it, because that's the way of God. <laughs> that's the way of his kingdom. Now, thankfully, on a church level, we're doing so much of this. You know, when we make a list, we're, we're doing a lot of this. And by God's grace, many of our opportunities do happen in a gospel context. So compassion, Alawa, the Soxathon, our Sunday schools, uh, get the word out fundraiser, uh, the regular donations to Christian community aid. I mean, these are just some of the ways that Epping as a whole, as a church, is showing mercy. I mean, praise God, we are living out one of the Beatitudes here all of the time. It's wonderful. But what about our individual acts of mercy? Is that happening in your life? Lots of ways we can do that, but maybe one way is through charitable giving. Now, of course, we can never, ever cover every possible need that's out there. Okay? But is there a particular cause that, that you can connect with and donate time or money or whatever that might be? Or what about within your growth group? Is this an area that you can brainstorm about? Now, one of our groups uh, sponsors a compassion child together, just as one idea. You know, there's lots of things that we can do. Or maybe you can simply decide to keep an active eye out for each other's real and practical needs as they arise. But the bottom line, though, is that God extends mercy. We should extend mercy, too. That's kingdom living. And then as we move on to verse 8, we read that the pure in heart are blessed. Well, we've already seen, haven't we, that the Christian life is a life of grace. And we already know that we can't fix our own heart condition. And so the blessed person is the one who has been given a new heart by Jesus. Okay, and who then, through that new heart, seeks purity in life. Now, Again, we're just moving quickly through these here today, but let me say briefly that purity is a good category for us to have as we think about the many influences on us. Okay, you know, will such an image or such a thought or such an act, will it lead me to purity? It's just a good question for us to have as we're just weighing up our life, weighing up our world and the things that shape us. The person who's made new will live new. Then verse 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers. Again, we've been given peace with God through Jesus. His death and resurrection moves us from being God's enemy to being his children. And so if we know this peace, we need to pursue peace. Okay, it says here that these people will be called the sons of God. Part of Christian living is imitating our Father in this way. Have a look at this picture. What do you notice about the tools? On the left side, you can see my hammer. If you scan over to the right, there's another set of precision tools. Uh, this picture was taken back when my boy William was just a toddler. And uh, here we see his set of plastic toy tools. See, back when I, you know, I'd go out into the garage, do some work, uh, William, he wanted to go with me. So I tell him I'm going to drill some holes. 
And you say, I want to drill holes too. Don't, don't worry, he wasn't using the electric drill at two years old, okay? It's all safe. Uh, but he wanted to do whatever I was doing, you know, cleaning up, using a shop vac, painting, whatever it might be. Let me tell you, it's a good source of cheap labor, isn't it? You know? But basically, William, what was he doing? He was watching his dad, wanting to be like him, trying to be like me. It's the same for us as sons and daughters of the living God, our heavenly Father. He has given us peace through Jesus. He has broke, he's taken the initiative to break down an enemy barrier. We need to be like Dad. And so along with sharing the, the great news of a peace from God that's held out for all believers, Christians should be peacemakers. So we try not to get into the petty squabbles at work. Really, we don't need to do that. Okay, That doesn't have to be part of who we are. You know, if there are people we know who are at odds with each other, we should try to help bring peace between them rather than take sides or just ignore the situation and put it in the too-hard basket. Or if we ourselves don't get along well with someone, we actively seek peace whenever that's possible through our own means. And we need to be people who can ask God for help so that we can be quick to uh, seek and offer forgiveness. Being a peacemaker also means not stirring up conflict. It means not bringing up the past when it's already been properly dealt with. It means not holding grudges, and it means not being a grumbler. We need to seek peace because we know peace through God. And then verse 10, final beatitude says, that those who seek righteousness but who are persecuted will be blessed. I will come back to this in a moment. But basically, in this second half of the Beatitudes, we see that the believer is called to mercy, purity, and peace in a world that won't always like followers of Jesus. That's really what's happening here. So what do we do then with these Beatitudes? Well, the first thing we need to do is make sure we understand them properly. If we look honestly at Jesus' teachings here, This cannot be a checklist of good things to make sure we do to ensure our way into heaven. It just cannot be that. Jesus made it perfectly clear in the first beatitude that this is all about a person relying on the gospel. Okay, And besides that, if we look closely at the beatitudes here, they are impossible to live out perfectly. That cannot be done by any human being. I mean, for us to do this perfectly, to keep this as a checklist... We would need zero sin and zero conflict in a perfectly pure life that's always hungering for God. So hands up if that's anyone here. My hand is down. Okay? It just cannot be done. You know, we need to never push for our own gain and needs. Uh, We need to be completely right every time we reach out for mercy, with mercy and peace. So the key to living the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, is to not start with ourselves. It's to look to the one who did all of this perfectly, and there's only one who ever did. I mean, Jesus, he is the one who had a perfect relationship with the Father, isn't he? He is the one who was sinless. He's the one who brings the most absolute peace. He was truly meek. He was truly merciful. The Beatitudes are not designed, they were never designed to be a list of ethical morals that we just keep trying harder and harder and harder to do to be a good person. Okay, that's a misunderstanding in our world. They are not a list of ethical morals. 
Just get that right. We have to, we have to understand that. Instead, they should lead us to surrender to Christ. That's what they're there for. They should lead us to prayers for him to keep changing us. See, by being made new in Jesus, that's when we know who we are before God. We then understand the depth of our sin. We then understand and experience repentance and forgiveness. And then we can actually savor knowing God. But we are works in progress as well, as you've heard me say many times. As we are changed into the likeness of Christ, then we can fulfill this more and more. But we always first cling to the righteous one who fulfills all of these beatitudes perfectly. That's why people who don't follow Jesus, but who try to live by these teachings, you know, to make the world a better place or whatever it might be, they're destined to fail. Because only the Christian with a changed heart can have a life shaped around the grace of Christ. The Beatitudes say, come to Christ because you're a sinner. And then in him, act out the new life that he will graciously give you. And so Jesus summarizes in verses 11 and 12. And here we see, as we close, the last thing for us to take away. And that's a wonderful hope. Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The key here is one little phrase, if you look at the screen. It's those words, because of me. See, if we really live for Jesus, if we try to be an authentic Christian reflecting these beatitudes, we're going to stand out, aren't we? We're going to be different from the self-pleasing and power-hungry sinfulness that's around us. But we're going to pay a price for that. For some, it'll be just a general difficulty of trying to live as a Christian in a fallen world. For some, it's going to be hurtful words and people coming against us in that way. Some people will find themselves not being treated fairly because they want to do what's right. They don't want to do just anything to get ahead. And some people, by pursuing Jesus, will actually be persecuted, and some will even die because of his name. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's remember that in some parts of the world, people are still dying today because of their faith. But in the face of all of this, Jesus says here, rejoice. I mean, how can he say that? Rejoice and be glad. Because there is a reward waiting that makes it all worthwhile. The promises here in the Beatitudes are both now and in the future. See, right now we can know comfort. There is a a present promise there. We can know God's comfort, can't we? Many of us have tasted that in times of need. But in the age to come, there will be no more hurt at all. Right now we can see God in the person of Jesus in Scripture. One day it will be face to face. We are kingdom people now. That's our reality. But one day we'll be literally in the glorious kingdom. A life of real joy and meaning comes from our life being in Jesus. But in many ways, it's a very radical life. So stay tuned over coming months as we explore and unpack what this, what this new life, this Sermon on the Mount, means. But the great hope is that there's reward now. There's a great reward to come. 
The Beatitudes say, blessed are those who are in Christ. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for these words of Jesus, uh, words that some of us know, such popular words even in in non-Christian culture. Uh, Lord, but we pray that by your Spirit we will understand exactly what they mean. Lord, keep us from trying to see these Beatitudes as a list of good deeds or ethical morals or a, a ticket to heaven sort of guideline. Lord, help us to see that this is a picture of transformed radical, Christian, kingdom-based living because of being made new in Jesus. Father, please change us. Grow us more and more to be like him. Give us the strength to live his way and to do the things that are called for here. Help us to encourage each other in this, Lord, even when these things are so challenging. And when this radical life makes things difficult for us, Lord, give us strength. Give us hope and meaning and purpose. Remind us of the great reward that has been secured for us by the shed blood of Jesus. Father, thank you that we are new in him. And we can say that we are the ones who are blessed by his grace. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.